0: why we are giving the same feed to all these animals. Those that are slow growing, they don't need the same thing that those that are fast growing animals. So we have, I think it's, it's very important we have to change the way we are feeding the beast. We have to personalize the feeding, but also we have to change the, the sources of nutrients we are, we are using to feed the pigs.
1: A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Swine it podcast show Canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada. Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Veterinary Services, and Demeter Services Veterinaries. Welcome to the Swine it Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry, The Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners Nutrition Group offer the full range of nutritional product based on extensive research and developments and a solid team of experts all across Canada. Our objective is to provide cost-effective solutions, innovation, and support to producer from the entire Canadian swine industry.
2: Welcome to Swine at Canada. My name is John Patience, and I'll be your host for today's podcast. Uh, with us today, we have Dr. Candido Palmar, who is a research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Um, so welcome, Candido, and how are you today? Thank you
0: very very, well. Thank you.
2: And um, before we get further into the podcast, Candido, can you give us a bit of your background Um you, you have a, to me, you have a very interesting background, very diverse background, and perhaps you could share that with our, uh, with our listeners today.
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you very much for for the invitation and give me the opportunity to talk about my career and uh, and my my thoughts about uh, uh, swine, uh, particular nutrition. But just to start, uh, just you will you realize that they have an accent. I, in fact, uh, I was born in Spain, so. Uh, I was born in a, uh, near Barcelona, so my my I have a, a mother tongue and a father tongue. My my, <laughs> my mother tongue was was Catalan, and my father tongue was Spanish. So we we are still using both languages when we get the family together. So I don't know why, with uh, some of my brothers, I still speaking Catalan, and with others, I I still uh, speaking uh, Spanish. So I, I, was, I was raised, my father was, uh, he had a, a farm, he was a farmer. So he, he has two different areas of, uh, of farming. One is, uh, there was a, a period, a long period where we, my father used to produce a lot of fruits. So apple, uh, peaches, I think the best that, that I remember, and I still dreaming sometimes to eat these peaches that I, uh, that I used to eat when I was young, uh, and all kinds of fruits, that, that was very good. But there was another area that it was in a very dry area where she used to produce uh, cereals. Barley was the most important cereal we used to produce wheat, and also sheep, uh, sheep. So that's, uh, that was, uh, I was there. So. I start uh, normally. We were living in a city, and uh, during the vacation time, uh, we used to go to work in the farm. So I, I work all the summers in the in the farm before my pa- father, uh, in both areas: the fruits at the beginning, and then I finished with the with the cereal production. And there I developed uh, 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 an interest in, in in working with sheep. But I, I I should tell you that when I was finishing, just I was. Uh, being ready to go to the university, my interest was mat- was mathematics. I want to to study in mathematics and not uh, 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 any not uh, animal production or whatsoever, not in agriculture. So, but uh, my father was not very happy with me going to the mathematics because at that time, in particularly in Spain, there was to going to the to, to study mathematics that was difficult to get. A future with that because uh, there was not much possibilities for employment other than the university that was not very uh, high there was not possibilities to get a job so they they just talked with me one day i remember i was finishing my studies before the university was an uncle, my father, my brother, Candido, you should not go to the mathematics uh, to the university. You have to do other things. So I decided to go to an engineering career, a career. So in, in Spain, um, the, when you are you want to be agronomist, you you go to uh, the Polytechnic University. So I, I then I, I went to Madrid, but I, I did my, my studies in, in, uh, in agriculture. And uh, I specialize in, in animal science, and with the idea of working nutrition. But then there was a, something very particular in my life. I fell in love. I fell in love with a Canadian woman. So, and uh, I decided to to follow her. And we, I came here to Canada, not with the idea of studying or doing anything, other just following this, uh, this this girl. And then. I applied for, for a master at the university at Laval, and they accepted me. And uh, I started working there, and I was very happy uh, doing my, my, my master. But there was a professor that, after he become my, my PhD director, he, he was feeding me with, with papers about mathematical modeling. I didn't know anything about mathematical modeling. Why is he giving me these papers? I don't understand anything about that. Yeah, I was interested in quantitative genetics, maybe, or something like that, that I was having very nice results, and the professor was happy with it. That he was always feeding me with with, with papers about uh, the, the modeling uh, mathematical model, in particular those that was coming from Lee Baldwin from California, all the papers from him. So... Slowly, he, he was talking to me, and he invited me. He made me a, a nice grant to do my PhD in a, a mathematical modeling line. And that's how I, I started doing m- modeling. It's just because I have a professor that maybe he was showing me the possibilities and doing these kind of things. And I said, only one condition for my PhD, I said, the is I don't want to study at Laval University because I did my master. I would like to go to the US and and have, have a good education on mathematical modeling. So we try different places. So we finally I, I went to to Michigan State University to follow some courses in, uh, on mathematical modeling, and then uh, I I finished doing my my research in in uh, in, in Nebraska in Clay Center on meat animal research center in Nebraska, a very little town just in the middle of the countryside, a very nice place to to study, to work. that's so interesting for a young man like I was. Okay. So that's uh, how I, I started doing my PhD. And then back to... To, to Quebec, to Canada, then uh, the, the, the university hired me for a while, and then it was uh, Agriculture and Agriculture Food Canada that was interested in, in, in developing this uh, mathematical modeling approach. They, they call my position system analyst. The idea at this time is just to try to take a lot of data and put this data in the models, and uh, we thought that we will avoid a lot of research just because we had all this data. That was a dream because, uh, yes, you can use the data that uh, our knowledge was very simple, and uh, soon I realized that I, that we I had to combine experimental trials with uh, with mathematical modeling because the data we had is is poor and it's not enough. We had to understand what's happening in the animal, what's happening in the system to, to model it. It's not just question of having data; we had to get understanding. And go from understanding to modeling. Is that what I did? So I started doing that. And uh, nutrition was my my favorite area. So I did most of my work in nutrition. And working on that, uh, I, I we developed the first model that we put in a software that that was called Porky Spur, But was very little diffusion of that. But uh, the big problem and they had at that time, John, and probably you are you, you realize that is that. We are working with average values all the time, but we are modeling we, we want to feed populations, large groups of animals, but we are always working with average value. So we were modeling one animal, and from one animal, we tried to extrapolate these values to populations. So I was struggling with that, and I said, that's we cannot use these kind of models to to estimate the the requirements of the, of a population or or just simulating what are the responses populations. So I went to a, a scholar in a sabbatical for a year. I say, I will, I had to dig up about that. What is the difference between one animal and, and the populations in terms of response? And I was working with uh, Gary Evans and uh, particularly with him and then uh, Elias Kiryasakis and a lot of work, a lot of simulations. And then is when I realized that we were not right just using one animal model to represent populations. And I wrote a paper and I say, no, we have to develop population models. And I started working with population models and then I realized after a few years that it was not possible. We did not have information enough to represent the variation of, 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 between the animals.
2: Excuse me, Candida. So before we get into that, because I think that's going to be the meat of our podcast here, uh, just to summarize, really, your research—excuse uh, me, your training—was really kind of serendipitous. When you were growing up near Barcelona, you never dreamed that you would end up in Canada and become um, one of the foremost modellers in the world. Uh, and how often that happens in uh, in the research world. And some of the names that you were associated with were real pioneers in the field. You mentioned Jerry Eman; she's. Obviously, influenced a lot of modelers over the years. So, um, credit to you, credit to Agriculture Canada, to uh, for supporting you. And um, but let's let's turn our attention then to the to the subject at hand, which you have suggested for the podcast, which I think is very appropriate and uh, very interesting. And that is the uh, the whole question of how we should be feeding our pigs. And how we need to do it differently than in the future than we have been doing it in the past. And I'm really interested in what you know, what your thoughts are on that, because I think one of the things we like to do in the podcast is help our audience to be aware of where the trends are and where they're going in the future so they can be prepared. So how do you think we should be feeding our pigs in the future, Candido?
0: Not just feeding, how we are we should raise the pigs. Because I, I I I think that we, we we double up the way today we are producing all the livestock, but we will take the pigs in particular and we we'll say this wave of feeding and raising the animals was developed seventy, a hundred years ago and has doubled up in the in, in more recent years, but just based in in the knowledge that we had at the time and the technology that we had at the time. So at that time, the consideration of animal well-being was limited, but the relationship between how we are producing and the environment was in existence. I do remember when I started doing my research that we were adding phosphorus without, too, without caring too much about the level of phosphorus. And also, uh, I remember giving some talks and uh, asking to the producers, I yeah, give you... A diet that has twenty percent protein and another that has sixteen. Which one you are going to choose? Well, oh, the twenty one is better, more protein. The the feeds they have better. We thought they were, and that's not true. So, the the, the today we are really, the, the farms grow a lot, and now the the relationship between the animals or the farms and the the, the environment is very high, and we have now to to integrate this interaction within the way we are raising and feeding the pigs. So the question we have to raise is, can we continue to producing pigs or or poultry or whatever in the same manner? The question is no. I think the status quo is not going to be acceptable because we, we, we are polluting in some way or it's very heavy for the environment to support the way we are feeding and raising the animals. So we have to change. The question is how we are going to change, which is the direction we have to take to produce animals in a more, uh, a, in a way that is more friendly for, for the environment. So the question is, should we maintain using corn, soybean, feeds to raise our pigs, Pick a, a, a gestating sow? Make it sense to use corn and soybean meal for a gestating sow when she She's, this how can eat six times more dry matter than is we are giving to her or even more she can use other sources of energy other sources of protein that are less problematic for the environment and also there is no competition with humans humans uh, needs so we have to change the way we are producing so we have to use other sources of 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 uh, of uh, feed ingredients that are more in in agreement with with the soil that is behind the farm. The question is, why we don't use uh, high quality uh, forages to to feed the soil? Why we don't use high quality forages maybe to feed the the, finishing pig, which he can eat. He can use all these sources of, of, uh, of nutrients without too much problem. He cannot take bad forages, but high-quality forages. Why not? So that, that's one point. Which which ingredients we are going to use to feed the animals? Uh, yeah, another aspect is: should we feeding the animals as we are feeding today with a, a unique feed for all the animals? When you have animals that are high, they are growing at very fast speed, and others that are uh, growing slowly, we are feeding all the same way. The requirements of the animals in a a given farm is very different. I remember one paper that very often I'm talking about, one of your papers, uh, John, that you presented, you you went to a farm in Saskatchewan and say you you took a a farm where the average body weight of the pigs were 104 kilos, I think, something like that. And then you show there is pigs that they are still having 74 kilos body weight, but other there is 130. Can we? Why we are giving the same feed to all these animals? Those that are slow growing, they don't need the same thing that those that are fast growing animals. So we have, I think, it's, it's very important. We have to change the way we are feeding the beast. We have to personalize the feeding, but also we have to change the the sources of nutrients we are we are using to feed the
2: beast. So. Um... You know, I, I understand your point, and and this is a great forum to to have this kind of conversation, Candido, and I appreciate this, and you've done so much work over the years asking these questions and looking for answers. And as you were going back to your first point about the ingredients, and you're right, we don't have to feed corn and soybean meal. Uh, in Western Canada, uh, lots of pigs go to market and, and don't see maybe after – 25 kilos, they don't see soybean anymore, and they probably never see any any corn. It's wheat and barley. But I think that the answer, so do we have to feed corn and soy? The answer would be no, but the answer would be we do it. The explanation would be we do it because it's the way we can keep our costs as low as possible so we can survive as farmers.
0: But uh, that's, that's true, but may not be true for a long time. Because uh, th- that's another way. I think we have to look, uh, and, and I don't have clear numbers. We have a student now working on that. Is if you look from 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 an acre an hectare, how many energies you can obtain if you produce corn, or how many uh, energies you can obtain if you are produce high quality forages. So maybe the answer is a little bit there, because if you produce corn. Uh, uh, probably you are going to obtain less finally uh, available energy for this animal, and to obtain this energy, uh, you know, in re- the, the production of corn in relation of, of the production of of uh, forages. But in the same forages, maybe you can look to other products, uh, other feed ingredients. You, you know, uh, corn is very expensive in terms of the impact that has to the environment. Another land production may not be like, uh, like forages. So we have to look not just the cost today, but at the long term when we are going to be so many people in the world, how we are going to get the most available energy and in compliance with the environment from each, the, the surface that is available. And probably another question is going to come, John, is how much water we are going to need to produce that. Because water is going to be also an important issue in the coming years, so we have to to foresee all these things and uh, our research. Uh, I think it's very important what research has to bring is this knowledge, which is the best way, the most environmentally friendly way, to produce energy, a protein to raise our animals, avoiding the competition with with what we need for for uh, human consumption.
2: Yeah you've raised very, very good points uh, that there's more than one way to look at how we evaluate ingredients. Um, I'm glad you raised water, of course, a favorite topic of mine. And the fact that, um, our use of fresh water globally, um, exceeds the supply of fresh water globally. And so we are definitely going to have to make some adjustments to use water more efficiently. And, uh, that one still, Um and there's a lot of work needs to be done in that area to allow us to do that. But we know that's going to become a become a touching point because if there's there's three major users of water, industry, people, and agriculture, and we know who would be number three on the priority list if there's a shortage of water. So (laughs) we we have to but I'd like to take you down a little slightly different path. And um, and I find your comments fascinating, Candido. What about co-products and byproducts? Because when we look at sustainability, and for example, I was at a conference a couple of years ago where they were talking about the co-products and byproducts of various um, uh, industries that utilize corn, for example, or other ingredients. And uh, if we don't have enough pigs or poultry to utilize those co-products, what are we going to do with them? Because we can't take them to landfills, we can't dump them on the land. They have to be utilized for productive purpose. And uh, and the point was made at that conference. And of course, we didn't have time to get into the the the, the dollars and cents and the quantity. But for example, there is an awful lot of distiller's grains being used by the pig and poultry industry. That if they didn't exist, I'm not sure where those those industries that. Create those co products would be less efficient themselves.
0: No, you, you are right. And uh, I was talking about uh, forages, but co products and byproducts are as important as our forages. So we, we have to go, we have to avoid the the, the competition with, with humans in some way. And uh, not in some way, we have to avoid because we are going to be soon in, in a problem with uh, the availability of, of protein between animals and, and, and humans. But it, that is, uh, I think, the, the use of, of byproducts and co-products uh, is, is very important. We have to use. And in particular, if you look in the past, uh, poultry and, and mainly pigs have been using that in, 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 in the farm yard. So that is not a new thing. They, they, in the past, they, they, normally they raised pigs using the co-products, the those the that we couldn't use for, for human consumption so no we have to to, to use that and this that, that's the way to go we have to to avoid we have to look at the the best way to to raise the, these animals but we have to bring soil production in, in link with with the soil that's around we have to because now you can produce pork without without having any land. so we, we have to 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 stop that and and linking swine production with the, the land that is around, and and make to, to try to get this 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 circular, circular economy in, in in some way. So what the the waste from the animals goes back to the land, and then you produce and you you recover as much as you can of all these nutrients. I think we have to do that, and and of course. Uh, the, uh, it, 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 the co-products and by-products are as a, as the important point. Yeah, that's in terms of ingredients. I think the other point that uh, is very important is we have to personalize the the the, the, the feeding. That's that's the, the other point because uh, what we obtain here is we are we are wasting a lot of nutrients feeding all the animals together. So personalize. Uh, uh, feeding is going to be the future because each animal is different from each other, and uh, and I think it's also it's an area where we have to research has to develop a lot because we're having developing our knowledge in terms of average responses of, of, a, of a group, and we're always forgetting that there is animals with very different metabolism of the other ones. So we we are seeing. Uh, in particular, uh, the, when we restrict a group of animals, you will see that uh, there is some animals. And even if you are restricted in terms of, of protein intake, for for instance, you are going to, to see some animals that are still performing very highly, like you you were you were feeding them as we think were to requirements. While there is another pigs that they nor they cannot respond to that and they are losing. So when you restrict a group the average group response goes down, but there is pigs that maintain growth while others loses. And another point is diseases. We have to be very careful. Uh, I think in the future, we are going to be very careful because when we are personalizing uh, the feed feed intake, uh, the, the feed supply, and uh, and we are reducing protein provision. We have to be very careful because an animal that is, is sick or is it has the the immune system activated, the requirements goes very high, and you they, they have to be careful because if you are using low protein diets or you are personalized, you are using precision feeding. So you you reduce the amount of protein you are providing to all the animals. You you, you can collapse because in, in in when the animals are sick, they, this low uh, low protein diets may not be the most appropriate ones to feed these animals, and precision feeding have to be we are going to need to recalibrate these models to to provide high, higher levels of protein because the protein needs are much higher and maybe energy also but energy intake normally goes down for most of the diseases so we have to learn science will have i think in the future a, a big role we have to understand much better the, the, the difference between the animals, what makes an animal different from, from each other, to be able to, to feed each one according to what they need, and also to identify, in in, in some situations, heat, stress, diseases, how we have to feed these pigs, because we cannot, we cannot feed them as they were uh, uh, normal, or, 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 or you cannot feed in the same way. So when we were feeding animals in groups with a large amounts of nutrients, sometimes we didn't see this big decrease. But if, you use, if we use low protein diets or so if we are using precision feeding, then we, have, we, we can have some problems with this situation. So that's, we, we, we are going to be able to, to identify my, my, much better how much nutrients to provide, but we have to be careful because in some situations need changes.
2: Yes, and you you have done a huge amount of work in that area over your career, Candido, trying to identify uh, how those nutrient requirements vary within a population of pigs, and how they might be fed differently. And so, so far, you've raised two issues with respect to nutrition of pigs in the future. The first is the ingredients that we utilize, and then the second is the manner in which we provide nutrients to the pigs in the most efficient manner and because our time is is moving on unfortunately were there were those the two points you wanted to talk about or were there other points that you wanted to raise and if so please please raise them now briefly because we'd like to hear if you have other ideas as well,
0: well. there is another point but I will not go too far from that I think in the future we have to to double up these we are going to say precise production system, not just feeding only, but we are going to have to, to develop the technology. So, technology is going to be uh, an important issue in the future because to develop this modern trying so production systems and this for all the livestock and it's also for any kind of thing so we, we we are going to need the technology and technology has to be double to, to be double for that for precision feeding for weighing the animals identifying the animals because imagine that we are able to identify the animals and follow how each animal is growing and eating so you are at the door to to see if there's any problem in terms of disease or environmental problem, you are going to be able to identify very quickly that animal that is is coming to be is, is coming to be sick. So you the intervention is going to be very early in the in, in the development of the disease. So the need of any treatment, antibiotics or other, is going to, to dramatically decrease because you are able to be, so technology is going to be a big issue. I'm not going too far, but the, the, the future, I think, of, of this uh, uh, production of livestock, lifestyle for building cars, you have robots for everywhere. So I think the, that's, we are going to use the technology also to produce the animals and, and take advantage of this technology to help us to take the, the better decision.
2: Yeah, that's um, that's a very, very good point, uh, Candido, because really, as I listened to your um your comments with respect to the formulation of the diets and then the delivery of the diets, the application of all that in the barn is really dependent on technology, right? We have, that we have to be able to have systems that work in a commercial barn and, uh, and identify the thing on, uh, in real time, the variables that you're talking about. So it's a fascinating look at the future Candido it's really too bad that you're approaching retirement. That's uh, you, you should give us another at least another 10 years, if not 15 years of your time.
0: John, I'm saying sometimes to the student, I'm sad because I would like now to be starting my research career. Yes. It is so nice, interesting things to do. It's so exciting, John. I would like to be young and to be at the starting point of my career, but... Anyway, that's a lot of young people to do it, but a-
2: it. That's right. It's the term for the next generations.
1: It's time
2: for our famous three. Thanks very much. I'd like to finish now. Really good points in, in your uh, presentation there, but I would like to finish with three questions. And the first question that I have for you is, do you have a favorite swine-related book that, you use or have used in the past that you would recommend to our listeners?
0: <laughs> well, there is many books. Today, I will say that most interesting information is coming from 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 journal articles where it is updated. But I will say that the book that I open more often is the NRC. It's not because I love it, it's because it has a lot of information that very often we use it as reference. So this this is one. But I have a, a, a very nice, books that I, I read time to time uh, about uh, a big uh, production. So uh, which one, well, every year, several books in a year are appearing and very, very interesting uh, information. So no, I think uh, I don't have one specific to recommend, but uh, you can, you can th- there is many books, but in terms of, of information, I think the, uh, where I'm getting more uh, information is from journal articles where I, I like.
2: Right. Yeah. Yep. You bet. So now then my second question is somewhat related to the first question, and that is your favorite book that's not related to pigs.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry, John. I'm not a big book reader. I, in fact, I'm always reading all the time. I spend my day reading. I enjoy reading um, uh scientific journals, but not related to agriculture. So I I enjoy a little bit of astronomy. I like to read journals about astronomy, but always short articles because I don't have time. My day is full and I don't have time. I should say that the only time where I spend reading is when I am vacation. So my my wife is not always very happy because then, then I take too much time for reading. But I enjoy reading books at that time. I the books that I, uh, that I enjoy, not related to, to science or, or to big production, are those that are related to the history. Uh, sometimes the history of, of, of Canada, I enjoy reading these kind of books and, and that changes over time. At I don't have any specific to
2: Okay. No, that, that's fine. And the last question, which is my favorite question uh, to ask of people like yourself because of your background and experience, that in your opinion – um, what sets successful people in the pig industry apart from others? Well, what is it about them that makes them successful?
0: Very often, what I say to the to the young people that are around me, as I, I said, believe in your dreams and go ahead. Don't be afraid, because sometimes young people are shy and think that their ideas are may not good. And they look at you and say, "Oh, you have a lot of experience, you have published a lot of things." you say, "Excuse me, believe in your dreams and go forward your dreams and don't be passionate and go ahead because your dreams are, are uh, if you follow your dreams, you are going to be far you are going to go far. If you are following my dreams, you are going to collapse. my dreams are not your dreams." You have to follow your dreams. Go ahead. And even if you think that your idea is, is maybe not good whatsoever, go ahead if you believe. And uh, listen to the others if you can modulate a little bit to give form of your ideas and your dreams. I will just tell you one thing. When I started my work in precision feeding, the other, I was one scientist that probably you know it, uh is uh, uh Jab van, milgen. He, Jab van milgen he said, well Candido, when you start talking about precision feeding, I said, this guy is, is false. He's, he's foolish. This this idea that don't make sense. That that's the idea. I think you have, we have to follow, I believe on that because I, I didn't see that there was any future in feeding large groups of animals with only one feed. And I saw the impact of, of feeding uh, personal, uh, use personalized feeding, and I think that's quite the important thing. Believe in your dreams and go ahead.
2: Right, great. Well, great thoughts, uh, uh, Candido, and I really, really appreciate your taking time to share those uh, your thoughts with us, your your vision for the future, your suggestions for young people. Uh, as they look to develop their careers uh, in the same way that you and others in your peer group have developed your career. So with that, I, I want to say thank you very much, Candido. I want to say goodbye to our listeners and look forward to sharing information with you in uh, future podcasts of Swine at Canada. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for your invitation.